coming to the ring, Flood the Drummer and Richard Taylor. Hello, wrestling fans, and thanks for tuning in to Coming to the Ring, a brand new wrestling podcast. I'm Flood the Drummer here with Richard Taylor. I'm in Philadelphia, and he is in Seattle, and we are in your ears. Say hello, Richard. Boom. Hello. What's going on, everybody? Wrestling fans, thank you so much for tuning in. We are so excited to have you all. This is going to be a blast. Chris, we're covering so much, man, and I know this has been a long time coming. So I'm super excited that we are getting this done and definitely moving forward in the wrestling industry with everything that's going on, news, socio, um, political, and everything else that we have as it pertains to the world of wrestling. Absolutely. Now, Richard just alluded to it. We are going to be analyzing the industry's most compelling storylines and news through a socio-political lens. So I know you were probably thinking when you tuned in, why do I need another wrestling podcast? Well, let me promise you, there is no wrestling podcast that will come close to what we're doing. Now, that's not to say that the wrestling podcasts that are out there aren't great. I mean, something to wrestle with comes first to mind. is one of the greatest wrestling podcasts there yeah. is. But Richard Taylor and I are both black men. We're both media professionals in our own right. He's an author. I'm a journalist. But we're also, as you would call uh, in the industry, we're marks. Yeah. And we decided that we wanted to get engaged in this space and show the lighter sides of ourselves. And Richard, it's funny because you and I have been talking back and forth about we got to get this done. We got to get this done. We've been talking about it. And then finally, finally, we're doing it. Finally. Yeah. I knew you were going to do that. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. And so it's funny. Like Chris and I have been talking about wrestling since 2013 when we first met in Detroit. And uh, it was really cool just to see the love that both of us had for the industry to see where the product and the brand that was going. You know, you know, we're going back to like childhood, like our first uh, wrestling event that got us to liking the product in the first place. And so, um, you know, we've been joking about doing this, what, for the last three years. Yeah. So to see this thing come to fruition, man, is really exciting. So we're going to have to prove our street cred, right? So tell tell the folks how long you've been watching this stuff. Oh, man, I have been watching wrestling since I was born in 88. I'd say I probably had my first taste of wrestling in 95 or 96. Yeah? Yeah. What got yeah. you into it? Oh, man, so... <laughs> I don't have cable. Well, I didn't have cable growing up. My mom and dad did not get cable until I was 17 years old and getting ready to head to college. So there happened to be one random weekend. I want to say it might have been like President's Day weekend or something like that when I was a kid. And I was at my cousin's house and their folks had cable. Mm. And so the first sighting of wrestling that I was able to see was being at their house. And it just so happened to be an episode of Sunday Night Heat. Mm. And so I think it was yeah Sunday Night Heat, and then I you know I'm after that I'm like oh well what is this like I've never seen this, Chris no sorry no it was a pay per view it was a pay per view and we didn't have school the next day Sunday Night Heat was the next thing I found and I was able to start finding reruns of Sunday Night Heat um, on television after they would air on cable. And so that is what pulled me in. And at the time, you know, the first the first figure that I see on a wrestling event is The Undertaker, right? Mm. Like, and I've grown up loving scary movies and watching a bunch of horror flicks and all of that. And so 
he, I mean, he was like the embodiment. I, you know, as a kid being so impressionable, I thought this was real. I'm like, oh my God, like there is a legit ghost that wrestles. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that was it for me, man. That's what, that's what it was for me, man. It was, that was Undertaker your favorite wrestler growing up? No, Undertaker was not my favorite wrestler. He was just up. the first one you saw that got. He you. was the first one I saw. He was one of my favorites until um, the the Samoan machine. Well, I guess half black, half Samoan. Uh, man, the 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 voice of voices. Man, the the promo of promo. Man, the Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Right. <laughs> man, Who's like was, your alter ego? <laughs> you like literally, probably. I, I, we might be in the bloodline somewhere together. That was my favorite man. The Rock had, even though he wasn't the best wrestler. Yeah. Um. Now he, in my opinion, had the best full package when it came yeah. to. Man, just his level of charisma, we hadn't seen that before, you know, and definitely from somebody of his, you know, background. And, and I think when you look at what, what wrestling was then when it came to who was the who's who and him for him to break so many barriers with so many obstacles against him and to mm-hmm. become uh man, a, a international figure beyond before he was what he is now, you know. Uh, man, everything that he did in the wrestling, in my opinion, led up to what we see now when we look at Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, you know what's interesting is when you when when you when you look back at, I guess you started watching wrestling what ninety five, ninety six. Yeah. Okay, I started watching it around ninety four, ninety five. Yeah. So my I remember Doink the Clown, um, Doink, Doink. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, Bret the Hitman Hart versus Owen Hart when they were doing that rivalry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, when Razor Ramon first got there, um, cool. Ultimate Warrior. So that's that's when I started watching it. And my favorite wrestler growing up, uh, eventually when I got into my teens, it was Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. But my initial favorite wrestler by far, who probably had you know the the, the most impact, had to be Razor Ramon, Scott Hall. Yeah. He was so fucking cool he yeah. oozed machismo like <laughs> i i as, as as now as an adult I went, I went to go visit a friend in new york a couple weeks ago and he asked me he says why do you have a toothpick in your hat i am why do you have one why are you sucking a toothpick i said because i raised her mom i said just in case i need to throw this at you i can pull another one out of my hat <laughs> so i literally walk around with a pocket full of toothpicks even as an adult that is <laughs> because, <too> funny <laughs> because that is- of raised Ramon. and i think it would you know for me he was just a really, he was one of the first WWF action figures that I owned um, because I was somebody who I had so many wrestling toys, wrestling figures. I don't want to say the toys. I don't want to disrespect the, the legacy. I had so many <laughs> wrestling figures growing up. Uh, I had posters all over my wall, my entire walls in my room growing up. I had NWO curtains and NWO sheets. I had WWF posters on my wall. I mean, I was a legit wrestling fan i got suspended in sixth grade for telling a teacher to suck it before i even knew what oral sex was that was yeah i was definitely that kid throwing around (laughs) suck it in grammar school i I even do it now as an adult and i'll be playing with my wife and she's like you're not a child anymore i'm like right but (laughs) like some habits die hard right (laughs) and you know what's funny is i you know there was a period where I didn't want to admit that I was a wrestling fan. Yeah. Because people would always say, whenever I say, yo, I like wrestling, right? And I'm thinking, I mean, it's still yeah, real to I me. Mean, it's still real to me, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> Only the Marks will get that reference. Um, but I don't watch wrestling because I think it's real. 
I watch wrestling because I know it's not. Right. And I, it's entertaining. And I enjoy the storylines. And I enjoy the larger-than-life characters. I enjoy maybe sometimes living vicariously uh, uh, through some of them. So, you know, for, for people who are, are listening to this because you're not, you may not be wrestling fans, but you're fans of the work that Richard Taylor does in, as, a, as an author and as a motivational speaker, or you're a fan of me as a journalist and, and what I cover in politics, and you want to check out the other side of ourselves, understand we're not wrestling fans because we think it's real. We're wrestling fans because we know it's not. Yeah. And we're, we watch wrestling for the same reason that you and the listening audience may watch Desperate Housewives, right? Or any other thing on television that's not real. The only thing real on TV is the news, and sometimes that it comes into question. Right. So nothing is real when it comes on the, on the TV. So when people say wrestling is fake, I'm thinking 90% of everything you see on the internet is fake. 90% of the shit people post on Instagram is fake. They're not really flossing and living like that, <laughs> but it's entertaining. And so we are here to entertain you by talking about the things that entertain us. Right. And I want to add to that, Chris, for us, I think wrestling is kind of like what books are to so many people. You know, as an author, mm. I think I can say that, you know, when you read a book, you definitely when you talk about fictional books, what is the big premise? You are looking for a good story. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what wrestling is for us. You know, when we get into these conversations a lot, it's always about the storyline. Can you tell mm-hmm. a great story? And that's what wrestling does for us. We know that it's not real. However, we want to be able to see what kind of storyline can be put together that can make it feel real. You know, a yeah. storyline that can definitely draw you in. And I, de- I believe that with what we have coming up, with a lot of what we're going to be discussing, even in today's episode, you know, it's the storyline that feels real. Yeah. So today's storyline that we're going to be talking about that feels real, perfect uh, segue, Mr. Taylor, uh, is going to be about Kofi Kingston. Uh, who's been in the Federation World Wrestling Entertainment for 11 years. That shows you how old I am. I still call it the Federation. Federation. <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's been in the uh, WWE for 11 years and who, as of Tuesday, uh, Night SmackDown, uh, will be going to WrestleMania. Finally. But the storyline surrounding that uh, encompassed a, a real issue that has been written about with wrestling in terms of its relationship with black wrestlers and whether black wrestlers can really get to the top of the mountain in WWE. But... Before we do so, let's review Raw and SmackDown really quickly, Mr. Taylor. I just got a chance before we got on the air to watch Raw and SmackDown highlights. Uh, I want to hear your take first, and I'll respond. (sighs) Raw. Uh, So, um, you know, there's been this big thing going on with Monday Night Raw for a while now where uh, they have, even though they have what most would consider the bulk of the talent load, they have definitely been the show that has not necessarily produced as well. And that shows in the numbers and ratings. Right. So I think for me, Raw is in an interesting space right now because it hasn't been fully drawing me in um, as, okay. as it has with many, many of the viewers. But I think overall, you know, they're trying to find their footing right now. Um, definitely. There is some great anticipation coming up with a few different matches. Right. So we have, uh, um, I think, you know, the big news with the main event for this year's WrestleMania and the news was put out that this is going to be the first women led uh, main event in WrestleMania history, if I'm not mistaken. And so that was the yeah, news. Yeah, because before this, only thing that women did in WWE was, <laughs> you know, you <laughs> they know did dry panties matches. Era. They wrestled in bio, you know, baby oil. They gave birth to hands. They were. 
they were the comic relief or um, for others, they were a different type of relief. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Now, <laughs> you've, got, you've got Becky Lynch versus Charlotte Flair versus Ronda Rousey for the uh, uh, Raw Women's title now. And, and these are three of the best athletes in the world going up. And so I, I know that that's going to be big. Uh, man, some of the storylines right now feel very dull, right? So I'm watching okay. Raw. Dull to the point where I honestly can't even remember what happened with a few of them, right? A few mm. things that stuck out to me, though. Uh, obviously, Charlotte, Becky, Ronda. Uh, Kurt Angle and his farewell tour that he has going on right now, um, which I think... You know, let's, was... let's stop there. Let's stop, stop there for a second because yep. I, I want to I read you something, but I also want to ask you something. Um, I got a text message from a friend of mine who's who's been a mark, but not necessarily a mark anymore because he's been upset at the creative of WWE. Um, and he, I, I sent him the, the post about the women's match will headline WrestleMania for the first time ever. He talked about the fact that at WrestleMania 2016, it was Sasha Banks versus Charlotte versus Becky Lynch. It wasn't the main event. It was the middle of the show, but it was, it was the, the last Divas championship match in yep. the first WWE women's match. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what he texted me. I want to read it to you, get your thoughts. Sasha always loses when it counts in her solo career. She's a fan favorite, and I've seen mediocre talent to decent talent beat her effortlessly and countlessly. She made that match that night. She dressed up as Eddie Guerrero, who was a favorite wrestler. She frog splashed Charlotte while she had the figure eight locked in on Becky. Charlotte and Rick cheated to win. It was epic. Ric Flair held Sasha's ankle so she couldn't climb in to the ring and Becky tapped to the figure eight leg lock, uh, fireworks and confetti. It looked like the main event. Um, he says this match with Becky Lynn, Charlotte and Rhonda is quote, terribly convoluted, randomly forced story. Um, she said, Sasha always talked about main eventing mania with Charlotte. Charlotte always talked about maining, uh, main event mania, excuse me, main eventing mania, uh, uh with Sasha and said that, What's happening is a microaggression, a microaggression by WWE in, in a creative sense that, you know, uh, they had the chance to put a black woman or an Asian woman into this main event and, uh, and they're not doing so. And now you have three white women who are going to be wrestling in the main event at WrestleMania. I wonder uh, what you think. And just this is last this last text message he says wwe has a ton of women who are not white and now after years of the women's division being overlooked it finally is going to main event mania and you mean to tell me in a triple threat match all three competitors are white oscar just had the title for some random reason she had to lose it to charlotte now both titles are in one match what are your thoughts on that i mean i agree i definitely agree um man when you look at uh what's happening with the women's division with what you stated, right? Cause a few wrestlers come to mind, Sasha, Naomi, Oscar, um, you know, three very, very talented women, Oscar being one of the best wrestlers in the world. Um, and just the, the, the level of disrespect, I would definitely call it a microaggression. Right. Um, but it almost looks like what, they so you do with, think it's a microaggression. Yeah. You know, it definitely, wow. uh, because of the, I mean, so it's, I mean, when you look at the, the core premise of what a microaggression itself is, I mean, it, it has that like, God, how can I describe it? It has that feeling of 
uh, what is the term that we use? Passive aggressiveness. Yeah. To where um, we, we're going to, we're not going to tell you that this is the reason why we're doing this. So we're going to give you a different storyline and tell you that creatively, creatively, we just think that this will work better. Right. Because okay. this is quote unquote what the fans want to see. And it's not. The fans have already stated their disdain with this. But this is more of a management call. Right. The aggressions mm. that come from people who can actually make these kind of decisions and the people under them have to be able to just bear with it and be like, OK, this is what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're seeing. Man. I honestly hadn't thought about that because obviously Sasha and Bailey are holding the women's tag titles right now. And so mm. there's mm-hmm. one small thought that I did have with this, like. I'm like, man, you all are doing a, a, a crazy storyline right now to potentially finally say we got a picture with all of the four horsewomen holding championship gold by the end of WrestleMania. Mm. Because in my opinion, Becky's definitely going to take the belt from Ronda. Um, there yeah, been, you think so? Uh, well, there have been rumors about Ronda, you know, kind of being done with WWE. and one, you know, She, she wants to her, go have a child, right? Yeah, she had her friend yeah. in it. She got a chance to get, you know, see what it was like. And she got paid some good money while she was doing it, too. And so she was never passionate about the business. This was about money. This yeah, was a money I mean, grab. She 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 was literally the female Brock Lesnar. Mm. Um, you know, she kind of came in, knew it would be a good money because she's such a big draw. People would pay to see her in this space. And that's exactly what they did. Right. And so. It's hard to think about the microaggression standpoint when you look at the fact that even even though she's not in the main event, Sasha is holding gold as one of the first women tag team champions right. to ever live. Right. right, and that's what I was thinking. And I'm like, okay, so are we doing all of this for the sake of saying we got the four horse women from NXT as champions just to take a picture? I'm like, we are we are demolishing storylines right now. Yeah. Well, we, look, I, I'm old enough, Richard, to remember when again, as I alluded to earlier. When I was growing up, you would never women in wrestling would not take them seriously. I grew up with Marlena, Sable, yeah. Jacqueline, Luna Vachon, Mae Young, Lita, and even when they were Ivory, Molly Holly, they would get matches, but they were opening matches, right? They were yeah. when you go get your popcorn, or it's, they it, were it they would have to be what strip. the pre-show is now. They would be the pre-show, or they'd have to strip down. And you'd hear Jerry Lawler screaming puppies for right. anyone to really pay any attention. Now, I actually watch this shit. And, and those matches are great. These girls can actually fucking wrestle. Yeah, no, they're, I mean, these are athletes, man. You know, and that's the thing. Like, they are, they are taking it to a different level when it comes to, uh, man, the spots, the moves that they're putting on. I think even when women first started wrestling, you know, there was this uh, real gag about, oh, you know, they're always botching, right? Mm. And, you know, for those who don't know what, I mean, hopefully, you know, as a wrestling fan, you would know, but the botches are those missed spots when you wrestle. So right. Shout out to Nia Jax. <laughs> right, right, right. So the botches, you're supposed to do a suplex, and the person is supposed to, or, or no, let's do this. You throw a kick, it's supposed to f- connect. And you throw a kick and it doesn't connect, but the person still has to fake the fall. As if <laughs> that is a botch, right? Right. So or as the wrestling fans would say, they still have to sell it. Right. You have to sell it. So that that is essentially, you know, what women wrestlers were known for, even once they started wrestling more. But now you've got a, a new level of, of competitiveness. And, you know, these are women are legitimate athletes, man. And so... I'm like, you you can't shade them anymore because, I mean, you got women out here putting on better matches than some of the men in this business. Mm. Mm. Listen, I wonder, you know, as we, you know, as we promised 
with this podcast, we wouldn't just talk about wrestling, but also through a sociopolitical lens. So let's bring in the sociopolitical context on this. And let's look at this through the angle of feminism, right? Feminism is the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of the equality of the sexes. Is the fact that women will be main eventing WrestleMania for the first time, is this a win for the feminist movement? Um, that's an interesting question. So I would say yes. Um, I'm not really sure if the feminist movement is even paying attention to it. But <laughs> Well, let, let me rephrase the question. Should the feminist movement be acknowledging this as a win? Should the feminist movement who 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 want to see women treated equally, who want to see women being on, on par with men, who don't want to see women over-sexualized, should the feminist movement in America be gravitating and highlighting what the WWE is doing with women? Is this their chance to say we've won or we're winning? It's, it's definitely uh, a... a a win. It's definitely a win. Um, and I think that, you know, you touched on two specific things that I thought were really good, like the degradation and the over-sexualizing of women. Mm-hmm. And when you look at this, this match isn't a bra and panties match. You won't have Jerry Lawler screaming puppies. This is a match full of competitors that are actually going to be going in and putting on a clinic Right. Um, when it comes to what the world of professional wrestling is. And so I definitely think that it's something to pay more attention to, because this has been a long time coming from an industry that for so long really has treated and viewed women as objects rather than people. Yeah. Right. And so, yes, from that context, it's definitely a win because I'm like, you know, now we are changing the trajectory and and I know some people get leery when we start talking feminism, right? Um, and I think, you know, you, you got some extremists on both sides, right? Mm. I think that is safe to say. Um, and so, you know, but when it comes to just the, 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 the simplicity of, you know, women being treated equally and being able to acknowledge them as someone other than needs to be in the kitchen or is only good to produce children. Right. Mm. Like they these women are definitely putting their bodies on the line the same way that these men are. And Mm -hmm. it's showing. So this is definitely a win. And I wouldn't just say for the feminist community. I would say this is a win for women in general. Right. Mm. This is a win for little girls who, you know, for so long, even in their feminine traits, you know, still want to be, you know, they're active. Right. They're good Mm -hmm. with being gritty they can wrestle you think about uh the story with Paige and her new movie right fighting with my family um and you think about all these different things like you you, this is a win for the little girl who for so long man you know wanted to play basketball with the boys or maybe maybe Mm. wanted to play football because you know she had legit skill and talent or this is a win for the 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 little girls and women who you know somebody stated that you couldn't do it but you know now you're starting to see more and more that you can one thing about WWE is that they always want to gain mainstream press, right? right. I mean, we, they're media whores in, 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 in the truest sense of the word. Do you think they're missing an opportunity here uh, for WrestleMania by not promoting this as a win for feminism, by not trying to get on a social political angle and, and maybe getting in the mainstream media and having a panel discussion with Anderson Cooper or Don Lemon or... Or, or George Stephanopoulos that, uh, around feminism? Do you think that, that, that they're missing an opportunity here? I mean, they could be. They could be. But I think at the end of the day, though, too, that's not an opportunity that they're willing to take right now because I feel like to a degree they've got to be able to 
walk a fine line with this because while they understand that it can bring in money, I think from mm-hmm. a, a different lens, they realize that it can probably lose them a lot of money as well. When How you, so? Well, when you look at their supporters, when you look at a lot of the supporters of the WWE, you look at Vince McMahon's ties, you look at his wife's ties, um, mm. you know, they are tied politically to individuals that really don't care too much for you know the move of feminism quote unquote or when you say right. individuals are you talking about someone in particular i'm talking about a few someones right i mean it's no <laughs> secret you know who Vince McMahon's, <laughs> one of his closest friends are you know and i, I think from a, a well for those who may not know richard enlighten them i'm sorry for those who may not know, enlighten them. Well, I mean, it's no secret. I mean, Donald Trump, we've seen him time and time again, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in the past, definitely with WWE. And I think that when you look at a lot of what's going on politically, uh, definitely with the movement of like, you know, Me Too, when you have a lot of these cases that are coming up of harassment and abuse with women within different men in office currently who are tied to um, these different political campaigns and parties, I think from a long-term standpoint, if WWE makes this move, you look at a lot of their backers and maybe which side politically they sit on, they probably think, like, it's great for us to do this in-house and push it here, but if we go too far, um, you know, externally with this, this might rattle some dollars, right? This might rattle some uh, endorsements and, and some investors. Oh, interesting. You know, mm-hmm. and I mean, maybe that's just my take. That's kind of how I see it. But I'm like, you know, I mean, who like, doesn't care about feminism nowadays? Huh? I would think that that would mean who doesn't who's willing to say, oh, fuck feminism. You know, what I mean, like, I feel like they have the perfect moment now to, to be able to jump on a um, the uh, altruism, for lack of a better word, and say, look, you know, WWE is is we care about women. We care about how they perceive the society, and we are making strides every day to show society that women can perform on the scale with men. Absolutely. To me, that seems like a fucking winning message. You know what? It seems like a winning message, but the reality is, is that with the world that we live in, that message will be twisted and tainted and turned into something completely different that will have other folks creating what we call fake news. I mean, Donald so, Trump you know likes I mean? grabbing. Donald Trump, I mean, to me, Donald Trump's like women more than anybody else. He grabs the pussy. Okay. He loves women. <laughs> he, <he's, laughs> oh my goodness! I, I, you would think he would be celebrating this. <laughs> nah, I, you know what, man? I'm not. I'm not too sure, and I don't necessarily even think it's him more than okay. it is, you know, supporters behind closed doors, right? Mm-hmm. that's what I'm wondering. Like, you know, when you talk about the investors that we don't know and that we can't see, but that have ties, um, you know, within the, the political realm as well. You know, th- those are the things I think about. Okay. What else on um, Raw or SmackDown this week stuck out to you? Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me go. Since you gave one, let me give one. Go ahead. For me, um, hey, damn, because this is tied. There were two things that really stuck out to me. Uh, I'm trying to think which one is the most important. Um, all right, let me just say this because this is really quickly. Triple H and Batista. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know if I really care about this story. <laughs> uh, really? Really? Yeah. I'm thinking, like, I, I watched his promo. I'm thinking, who gives a fuck? Like, I mean, Batista's been gone for so long. Triple H doesn't really have it. I mean, that match that him and Shawn Michaels had with Undertaker and Kane was so underwhelming. I don't care about either four of them. But I don't know if I want to see Triple H wrestle anymore. Again, 
I'm old enough to remember when Triple H was Hunter Hearst Helmsley, mm-hmm. when he was curtsying on his way to the ring, when he was a <laughs> blue blood snob, right? Like, again, I watched wrestling when WCW was airing Saturday night, when he was terrorizing. Mm-hmm. So I have watched this guy for 25 years. And to see him on TV now, bald with the beard, he looks great. But I don't care. I don't care about Triple H anymore. I definitely don't care about his rivalry with Batista. I don't feel like WWE has put enough time and in investing into why I should care. Right. Well, you know, this was a rumored match from like two or three years ago. Um, and so they wanted to do this as a dream match. I think the WWE okay. missed the mark when it came to a dream. No, who? Who the fuck is dreaming about Batista? Well, when you when you think about the last time they were together back in 2014, um, before they broke up Evolution, um, and mm. Batista went off to go film the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. This at the time they were still, you know, in their prime to to be able to wrestle and and, and put on a show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but needless to say, you got to look at this from the lens of an Undertaker, so to speak, right? Undertaker mm. is old; his body doesn't function as well anymore. And even though these guys might be old in age, at the end of the day, they're still a draw. Financially, okay. they're still a draw. It's going to bring in money. And this is a match that Batista wanted a while ago. He said that if he came back, he did want to wrestle Triple H, right? Okay. Um, and so this is this is definitely a match that he wanted. I could see this being his farewell because Batista, like The Rock, is starting to get his footing, you know, really, really good yeah. in, yeah. in, you know, in the realm of Hollywood and acting. And so I think that, uh, you know, now's the time to pull the trigger just because these cats aren't getting any younger. Mm. You know, I'm not saying that it's going to be the most appealing match on the show, but at the same time, there is a small part of me where I'll look at this match and be like, you know what? This reminds me of 07, 08. You know, this reminds me of, you know, Batista getting his first big push and him and Triple H finally coming to blows. Like it, it's the it. this match is is all about nostalgia, Chris. No, and then that in that context, that's fair. But I guess to me as someone and, you know, look, there is no one uh, who enjoys a good nostalgia pop more than me when you bring back a, a good angle or a good wrestler. But this doesn't resonate to me. This doesn't speak to me. And again, I feel like I'm WWE's core audience. I've been watching it since I was seven or eight, since 93, 94, um, you know, intermediately, you know, uh, intermittently, excuse me, uh, in twenty. In 2002, 2003, 2004, I, I, I watched the, li- the last Nitro. I mean, I live in Philadelphia, I, I blocks from the old ECW arena. I mean, I am a hardcore wrestling fan. This angle does nothing for me. Mm. Nothing. Nothing. Wow. 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 Yeah. And I think partially because of the fact that they waited so long to pull the trigger from a standpoint of yes. built this story up maybe at the beginning of the year, have Batista come back around uh, Royal Rumble season. Mm-hmm. Right. And then just kind of build it up from there. Um, I think, too, because of the fact that it hasn't been enough time centered around it, even in the last few weeks when it was announced, like we've got to do a little more to get people intrigued with this. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're missing right now with this. But I'm still I'm still looking forward to seeing it only because 
I think I, for me, this is just me. I followed the storyline on Batista's way out, and I figured they would end up doing this one day. You know, Triple H is like, "Well, go to Hollywood, and when you fail, don't come back here." So that little part from like 2014 still sticks out to me, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I want to." <laughs> but other than that, like I said, I mean, this is definitely not the match of matches that I'm like, yeah. "Oh snaps, this is gonna take over the show." It's definitely not. This will be nostalgia. They'll no one's buying a ticket to WrestleMania because Triple H is fighting Batista, right? Right. Right. They'll probably pull out some tricks. We'll probably see something with Ric Flair. We might get a little Randy Orton. Uh, mm. Evolution. We'll get some stuff there. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we'll, you know, we'll see. But I definitely think it's going to be really interesting uh, just to see how they pull this together. It might surprise us, man. You never know. Okay. What's going on with Kurt Angle? He wrestled Samoa Joe on uh, Raw, was it? Smackdown. Yeah. Was it Smackdown? Yep. Okay. Samoa Joe versus Kurt Angle on SmackDown. Maybe I'm missing something, but I thought he was having so his last match is his last match is at WrestleMania, right? Right. So what is he doing now? So Kurt Angle is doing because of the fact that he's announced that he's retiring after Mania. Mania will be his last match. Kurt Angle is currently doing uh kind of like his farewell tour. You know, we see this a lot with NBA players. You know, we look at Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade made the announcement that this is gonna be his last year in the NBA. And so he's this is literally his farewell tour. We did it with Kobe okay. Bryant a few years ago. Essentially, that is what Kurt Angle is doing. So with his farewell tour, he is wrestling different people every Monday and Tuesday leading up until WrestleMania for basically like the last month. Right? Some matches that people have never seen before. You okay. know, potential could have been dream matches, yada, yada, yada. But that's essentially what it is. You know, he's putting on a show with certain folks that he, he respects a lot in the industry and business. And, of course, WWE creates their own storyline. So for them to say, oh, Kurt Angle and Samoa Joe face off for the first time ever in history. No, that is not true. <laughs> several times in TNA. But whatever, you know, who's counting? And right? their T and, and their T look. If it for, didn't happen in WWE. In exactly. But but for the wrestling fans who who, who are maybe younger who may have been born in 2002 and you're like, you know, fucking 17 or 16 right now. Oh Let me explain God. something to you. <laughs> There's life beyond WWE. And when I tell you that the early days of TNA put on some of the most masterful clinics of matches, if you really want to see what AJ Styles can do, yeah. if you really want to see what Samoa Joe can do, if you really want to see what Kurt Angle can do, if you really want to see what Joseph Parks, a.k.a. Abyss, can do, you have to watch 2001, 2000. If you really want to see what our troop, Ron Killings, can do, yeah. you've got to watch early TNA. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Shit was golden. And I don't know why it didn't work. Um, maybe from, from everything I've heard, Dixie is just such a bad fucking manager she just she just doesn't manage business well bad, bad they had a bad chance business, to really do bad something management of the wrestlers it was so many okay. storylines that focused around that you know yeah uh anything else on raw smackdown before we get to the main event well we the had, main uh, event gene ambrose had a match yes with, um, yes uh, uh what is drew mcintyre drew mcintyre here we go the scottish psychopath as they refer to him and so <laughs> Dean and, and Drew McIntyre. You and I, by the way, uh, um, we're going to have to give ourselves monikers for this podcast. Right. We'll have to come up with that later. Right. No, we definitely <laughs> will. We definitely will. So Drew McIntyre continues his dominance with the Shield. He defeats Dean Ambrose in a last man standing match. And so, you know, this is all playing into what will take place with uh, McIntyre and Reigns at, the, uh, at WrestleMania 
uh, if I'm not mistaken, Drew McIntyre put out a challenge towards him as well. So this is uh, this is going to be pretty big. Um, Seth Rollins, uh, man, with his uh, his in prep for his fight with uh, Brock Lesnar for the WWE Universal Championship that will be taking place at WrestleMania as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had a nice little standoff and uh, with uh, Paul Heyman promo uh, with Seth Rollins. So that was that. Charlotte failed to defeat Ruby Riot, uh, but Becky Lynch won. So this kind of basically secured her mm-hmm. into. And that was in a time, a beat the, a beat yeah, the time. It was beat the match. clock. It was basically beat a beat the clock. clock. Yep, yeah. yep. So Finn Balor. Ronda Rousey had what, a minute and 30 seconds? Yep. Yeah. Finn Balor beat uh, Jinder Mahal and Bobby Lashley in a handicap match uh, for. Uh, for what I don't know, I guess this is going to kind <laughs> he of... Said, for what I don't know. I, you know well, it, it was his way to get to WrestleMania. Yeah, it, but, it uh, is, but I'm just yeah. like, man, this, I'm like, y'all just got to book my man better. Um, <laughs> Ricochet and Aleister Black have been on a tear. Man, they've been beating everybody uh, as a tag team. They beat the Revival this week with a pinfall. So let's stop, stop there. Stop there. I don't really care for Aleister Black and... and, and uh, um, um, whoa, whoa, whoa. As a tag team. Let's not not, not, as, a, like, not as a tag now, team. You know what? No. No, no, as a tag team. I think they're both spectacular. I want them... Look, Ricochet was Prince Puma in Lucha Underground. Yeah. If you watch the matches he had in Lucha Underground, it wouldn't make your jaw drop. Yeah, he's I want to see him do that. I don't want to see him take tag team. Not to say that the matches aren't great. I don't want them boxed in as a tag team when I know what they're capable of as single competitors. They won't be, but you still got to remember that they're on NXT right now as single competitors still. However, oh, they're still in NXT. Huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they got call-ups. Apparently, from what the stories have reported, um, apparently Vince wanted to liven up the show. He needed some new acts, right? And so he brought Black, he brought um, Ricochet, and then uh, he had a few other call-ups as well. I can't remember who they are off the top of my head. But he, he, he wanted to spruce things up. And so... They are holding this tag team position now. It's been rumored that they're going to go back to NXT full-time once Mania season is over. We'll see how that that happens. At the end of the day, though, I think that both of these guys will get their chance to be big-time single competitors once, um, you know, once the time comes. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Ricochet. Okay. Um, him as Prince Puma, he was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. He still is phenomenal, uh, man. He's if you want to see that kind of wrestling from these two guys, oh, you've got to be able to watch. You've got to pay attention to NXT. You've got to mm. watch on Wednesdays. You've got to go to the network and you've got to pay attention because you're not going to really get all of that here um, from these guys now. But, uh, man, you know what? I'm, I'm wondering where they're going to go with them. Um, apparently, the Vince felt like the tag team division in Raw needed a facelift, and, and this mm. is what he's come up with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, listen, I think uh, – the only thing I would have to add to that is that I, I'm tired of seeing Baron Corbin wrestling in his dress clothes like he's going to second service or something. What's, My goodness. <laughs> what's in second service? He looked like a bad bartender to me. I'm like, what is up with him? What is the Baron Corbin character these days? I don't even get it anymore. So I'm like, you know, he they had him dressing like that when he was Constable Corbin. But I'm like, dude, you haven't been Constable in a while. Right. But there had been some rumors that Vince McMahon thought that for him to be 6'8", he was too chubby in the stomach area. So he started okay. wearing shirts. And so I'm not sure okay. if that's like holding true. But um, he yeah. was a little flabby. Hey, but you know what? But shout out to the Flabby Brothers. You, you know, know I'm a little Flabby. Like sweaty man, so it is what it is. <laughs> but yeah, man, so yeah, SmackDown, right? We got to talk SmackDown. Okay. 
Absolutely. And of course, the big story coming out of SmackDown is the fact that Kofi Kingston yes. secures his title shot for WrestleMania, but it wasn't done through Kofi. It was done through his tag team partners, Big E and Xavier Woods, being able to face off against four different tag teams and beating all of them to secure Kofi's spot. And of course, that started off with a very cringeworthy promo from Vince McMahon in the New Day at the start of the show. <laughs> Why was it cringeworthy? Ah, uh, you know, man, it just it it brought back all of the post traumatic slave disorder uh, feels from <laughs> uh, <laughs> from man. Just you know, Vince McMahon definitely knows how to get under your skin, mm. right? And he knows how to berate his characters, but you know, he's been he's been uh he's definitely been infamous when it comes to berating his his black characters his character okay. color and um you know this was no different right you know mm-hmm. just kind of coming out new day had been talking about how they were contemplating for the last week whether they wanted to stay or go and vince just kind of comes out you know big pompous billionaire white guy and is like oh i knew you were never leaving we all knew it yada 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 he continues to berate Kofi Kingston by calling him a B-plus player, which mm. is essentially what most of the black wrestlers have been in the WWE for the longest of times, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, he he goes on and he, he literally sounds like what you would see in the real world when it comes to uh, the, the berating of black men by, you know, rich, powerful white guys. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's cringeworthy from the standpoint that, oh, my God, this feels really real. You know, like, you know, you talk about a microaggression. That was a microaggression time 30. Like, that wasn't even a microaggression. That was, like, in your face. Like, this is how I feel about you. And so that's how it started off. Vince puts out a challenge basically saying, you know, uh, Kofi, you've lost every chance you got to try and prove yourself so maybe your tag team partners can do it for you. Mm. And I know we're going to jump into that in a second, so I'll give you the rest of the rundown. Okay. Charlotte Charlotte, and Asuka face each other in what I thought was going to be a regular match. Turns out that it was for the SmackDown women's title um, for whatever random reason, which I think, you know, they're just doing this for a photo op at WrestleMania, but Charlotte actually beat Asuka um, into submission. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Crazy to think they haven't done a really good job with Asuka in the belt. Asuka is one of the best wrestlers that we have. I was hoping to actually see Asuka and Ronda for Mania mm. last year, but didn't happen. AJ Styles and Kurt Angle face off in this uh, this tour that he has going on. AJ defeats him by disqualification because Randy Orton comes mm-hmm. in and delivers an RKO to AJ Styles. Um, but then Angle comes up behind him and hits him with an Angle slam. I figured this was going to be a match where nobody really technically won because you want to protect Kurt. You're going to give him a nice little streak on his go home. Right. But then also you don't want Styles to lose steam going into Mania as well. Uh, Shane McMahon accepts the Miz's WrestleMania stipulations, um, which I can't remember exactly what they were. But, you know, they kind of have this own little bout, man. And essentially, that was Raw. After that, you had the, you know. So you know that was SmackDown, you mean? Yeah, that was, sorry. That was into SmackDown. And essentially, New Day took up the last, what, 20, I'm sorry, 40 minutes of the of the TV spot with that, uh, that gauntlet match where they had to face off against four different tag teams. Can I just say that I really enjoy a heel Shane McMahon? I don't Absolutely. like a face Shane McMahon. Shane McMahon is a heel. He is the next generation of Mr. McMahon. And he has to start to embrace that. When he came out there with the security and then a row of wrestlers and did his little, 
you know, you know, his little thing when he comes out the out, out the entrance ramp and does that little jogging boxing yeah. thing, whatever that is. Um, that's the Shane McMahon that I like. I mean, for God's sake, he has gotten he has aged as we all have. But looking at him again, I'm old enough to remember a very young Shane McMahon, Green Street Posse type Shane McMahon. Yeah. Um, but I like a heel Shane McMahon. I like what they're doing with him. Uh, I don't like the fact that Shane McMahon keeps getting these WrestleMania moments, and that I have to believe that Shane McMahon is the type of wrestler who can push Undertaker to his limits. But that aside, I, I like a heel Shane McMahon. I think they have to keep going with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that was kind of one of the hopes I think that many fans had. They felt like there was going to be a um, a heel turn coming. A lot of people just wanted it to be a heel turn of Shane and not The Miz, right? Because we know The Miz as a heel. But to actually have Shane do it um, himself, yeah. And and to really be just golden in it, it makes it uh really good and it's really cool to see. We haven't really caught um we haven't caught uh the Miz in this kind of face stance in a very long time. Mm-hmm. So it, it was it was definitely cool and uh yeah, no, I'm I'm with it. Yeah. Are you who are you rooting for at WrestleMania? Shane or the Miz? Hmm. I'm rooting for the Miz, which is weird because I, I, you know, to a man for a long time, I detested the Miz's character <laughs> because he's that good of a heel. He like, is a brilliant heel. A heel. But um, I'm, I'm rooting for Miz just because I'm like, you know, Shane is a McMahon, right? Okay. And so we're we're anti McMahon over here. Um, it is weird because Miz technically is still a heel. Like, don't get it twisted. But in this match, they've created him to be the face because, of course, Shane turned on him. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting dynamic. It's not like he's holier than thou now. Like, Miz is still a heel, Chris. Like, let's not get Oh, right, right. But he's the lesser of two evils. <laughs> exactly. He's the anti-hero. Right. <laughs> right. So that was Raw and SmackDown, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our takes. Now, here is the main event. Richard Taylor and I are going to talk about Kofi Kingston and it's way too real storyline about race and the WWE uh, and whether WWE has ever treated black wrestlers, wrestlers who identify as black men, not necessarily wrestlers with black characters, but wrestlers who identify as black men fairly. Richard, I have to tell you, again, I've been watching wrestling almost my entire life. I watched, I was enthralled in the Attitude Era uh, I remember buying WWF uh, Warzone on PlayStation 1, right? That's how fucking oh, old yeah. I am. You know that what was, I mean? Yeah. I, I remember buying WWF Attitude. I remember when, you know, WWE used to plan out long-form storytellers. I remember when Kane debuted at Bad Blood in 1997. And I also remember when Kane was fake Diesel. And I also remember when Kane was Isaac Yankum. Fake this Diesel was one of the worst ideas. It was the worst. <laughs> it was the worst. <laughs> but this storyline that they did with Kofi, where Vince McMahon is, again, playing the heel Mr. McMahon character, the evil boss. Kofi Kingston is the underdog. Mr. McMahon is making him go through uh, the, ro- the, 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 the ropes, if you will. Uh, making him prove himself to be worthy of a, of a WWE championship match. And then WWE, and then Big E and Xavier playing it up even outside of the television apparatus, going on social media and saying, and threatening to leave the company and saying that guys like us, people like us will never be respected. This was so unbelievably real. It's the best storytelling WWE has done in so long. Yeah, no, I agree. And I was, 
like I said, I cringed. I cringed. I've been cringing. And then parts of me certain weeks have been mad because, you know, we, we hear people use the term all the time. I'm fighting the man. I'm fighting the system. This storyline with Kofi Kingston is a perfect example of that. So for any listener who's ever wondered, like, what do black people mean when we say fighting the man? Who's the man? Who's the system? You got to pay attention to this storyline right here, right? Mm. Kofi Kingston came out and he actually let's let's backtrack real quick he replaced mustafa ali mm-hmm. who was supposed to be fighting at fast lane uh ali got hurt kofi kind of came in and but man kofi put on and from action. from what i understand richard it was a legit legit kind of faith fate like he mustafa ali was really hurt and they really didn't need to replace yeah, him. yeah yeah no yeah, they no, had no idea they hurt. had no intention of pushing kofi this wasn't a work. Mustafa Ali really got hurt. Kofi Kingston uh, was the, the fill-in for him. But Kofi came out in that match where he placed Ali before the SmackDown before uh, Fastlane, and he put on a show with mm. Daniel Bryan. I mean, they literally told a, told a story in the ring mm. um, through their match. Uh, when this happened, Kofi Kingston got over heavy with the fans, and I don't think Vince was expecting it. Okay. I don't think anybody in the front office was expecting it. Kofi got over that night, and next thing you know, Fastlane's coming up. He does the same thing for, what, almost an hour, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, and he put on a wrestling clinic with Daniel Bryan. Mm. By this time, he is over with the crowd. Like, they are all for Kofi winning the championship, mm. and I think it really swept Vince from under his feet because he was not foreshadowing this. And mm. now you got a thing where, oh, you know, remember a few months prior, Vince McMahon comes out with Stephanie and Hunter and Shane and yeah. we're going to do a better job of listening to the fans. We're going to give you what you want. And with that, it's like, boom, they just told mm. you they want Kofi. And Vince is he's a genius still. He's yeah. a genius because he understands that this is a draw. Fans want it. They're going to make money. But of course, he's going to do everything he can to create a storyline out of this that will uh, essentially cause them to, to to break, right? And, and like, I think you and I talked about this. You said it reminded you of, like, old school attitude era, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of fighting system type. And it definitely does, man. But I think with this, with Kofi being black, um, you know, there have been subtle uh, references even in the promos when, you know, we, you, we hear Kofi and Big E saying people like us. Right. Yeah. We know exactly what we what he means with people like us. And even with Vince, you know, uh, I think he, there's no secret. He knows how he's treated black wrestlers when it comes to, <laughs> you know, he stated that he, he does not feel like they're the kind of people that can basically hold the top championship in, in professional wrestling. That's mm. not the image that he wants when it comes to wrestling. Mm. So do you think like clearly Vince McMahon saw that there was a storyline with Kofi, but do you think that part of what he did with this storyline was like, you know, like you said, Vince is the evil genius. He is one of the smartest businessmen I've ever seen in my life. Do you think, clearly he was taken by surprise when he was like, oh, wow, people really into this Kofi Kingston guy? This is just the guy who we have on, on the payroll to throw out pancakes into the audience. And, and jump and, and dance kinda, around and do Right, the... kind of jump and dance around and shit. And, and now people are actually thinking that he can be a legitimate contender. I feel that the storyline that he did with Kofi was part hey let's tell a story but b it was part let's let's see if this guy actually care if people actually care about this guy let's see if people will buy into the storyline let's keep putting him through these different things and see if anybody will give a damn and i think when he realized hey 
this guy is getting, you know, as you would call him, uh, uh, Richard Philly Pops. Yeah. You know, he's getting pop when he when, 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 we, when we bring this up. Let's actually let's actually explore this thing. We might have something on our hands. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the thing. So I think once he realized it, he realized it early and decided to go ahead and do whatever he could to make this a story worthwhile to really draw people in to get them excited about mania to make sure that he has butts and seats and ratings galore and that's exactly what's happening man uh kofi has been getting pops in every city that he has gone through since this move has been made and mm-hmm. it definitely it's not showing any sign of slowing down either so we'll i think we're going to get more and more of this with kofi um i'm excited i think that he's going to actually walk away with the ta- the title you think uh, Kofi Kingston is going to be the next WWE champion? I do. I do. Wow. And I know it's far-fetched. I know it's a stretch, but it but now the the, the real question for me is how long do you have him hold it? Like don't mm. don't, don't play my man's. You know what I mean? Okay. Like don't don't play him. Like if you're going to give him the belt, let him hold it. That I think the winning the title isn't the tough part. It's going to be just how respectable WWE is towards him as champion and being able to see him. Cause it's one thing to get the pop and be the underdog before winning it. But man, I, I feel like a lot of it comes from the play after that's done. Right. It's one thing to get to the mountaintop. It's another thing to have sustainability once you get there. And that's what we need to see with WWE and how they end up treating Kofi with this. Mm. Kofi Kingston, next WWE champion. Do you think he can carry the company? Is he compelling enough? Because to me, you know, Kofi's a brilliant wrestler. I'm not a huge fan of the bright color, new day, throwing pancakes, shaking your booty. To me, there's some, there's, there's some um, uh, a less than flattering uh, caricature and archetype that are being played there. I think when they're showing their booty, they're over-sexualizing themselves. I think when they're, when they're uh, overly silly, they're being a little bit too cartoonish or coonish. Mm-hmm. if you will. But I don't know if Kofi Kingston in the role of the New Day in the context of the New Day apparatus is a draw. And I could be wrong because clearly the New Day is over. I just don't know if he's a draw as the top guy, right? If you, Seth Rollins on Raw because he's probably going to win the championship there. Seth Rollins on Raw, Kofi Kingston on SmackDown. Is that a draw? It is. I think and it becomes more of a draw when you actually – when when creative can take the uh the reins off and just let Kofi be. Mm. Uh that that a lot of that's what a lot of it is gonna boil down to. It's kinda like WWE is gonna have to put it to you like this. WWE will defeat themselves when it comes to the Kofi Kingston storyline if he wins after Mania. Mm. I mean if he if he wins and then carries the belt after Mania. The reason why I say that is because they have stifled themselves for years when it comes to the booking of uh, either foreign characters or black characters. Mm. And, and so Kofi succeeds with the booking mm-hmm. because Kofi can make whatever you give him work, but if you give him trash booking, I mean, you set him up for failure. Mm. And so I definitely think that he can hold it up and be great, but it, will, it, it really will boil down to them doing the right things. Mm. So, um, so with that said, you know the the treatment of black wrestlers as a whole. There's been a lot written about black wrestlers and how Vince McMahon treats them. And I've heard people every time I bring it up, people go, "Well, they had the Rock, 
No, oh, the rock, God. blah, 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 blah. Stop it. Look, there was a 2018, October 2018 article published by The Root in the Grapevine Vertical where uh, people were, there was a backlash because Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, was cast as John Henry. And uh, The Rock doesn't necessarily identify as a black man. Uh, here's an excerpt of that article. Acknowledging black heritage isn't the same as identifying as a black man, and Johnson has never publicly done the latter. Even more pertinent, Johnson's racial ambiguity has been a hallmark of his many roles, which have rarely seen him explicitly portraying a black man and to that end, being a part of a black family. Hmm. Is is it fair to say WWE has never had a black WWE champion? We've had world champions. Mark Henry is the first to come to mind. Booker T. Booker T. But, I mean... Are people being petty when they say the WWE has never had a black champion when you've had the world championships? Or people say, no, well, the world champion is the WCW title. The actual flagship WWE title right. has never been held by a black man. No, no, they're not being petty at all because of exactly what you just stated. You know, um, there, there's no secret that one title held more weight and, and credit than the other, right? Mm-hmm. And so we obviously know that there was the WWF title, and that was the title that was top dog, Right. Um, I think with the brand split, it's very easy to use a lot of smoke and mirrors to make it seem like the titles are equal and they're not. They never Mm. were and they never will be. (laughs) Um, But, you know, people aren't petty at all when it comes to that, because it's the it's the honest to God truth. Like one belt has literally been held for one particular group, maybe or two particular groups of people. That being, you know, these big burly white men. And if you're lucky enough, a Samoan from, you know, the uh, Anawa family, right? Yes. And, and that, that's it, you know? So those are your pickings. So, no, I don't think people are being petty at all, Chris. No? Not at all. When you think about it, man, uh, this has been the longest I have ever seen anything of this kind of magnitude that hasn't been touched by a person, a, a Black person. Because mm. this is the one that represents the history of the WWF. Mm. Like you said, the, the, mm. the other belt is, is cool, but that was that lineage holds from a company that WWE purchased when they were the WWF and that they blew out of ratings and that they, they basically put out of business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, I don't know. So it, to me, there's something there, Richard, this with WrestleMania where, you have Kofi Kingston, 11 years in, identifies as a black man, originally came into character as a Jamaican. <laughs> Boyaka, Boyaka! That's Ray Mysterio. Right? Boom, boom. That was his name. Boom, boom. And uh, uh, Harlem Heat. Ta Harlem Heat. Getting, or, getting I was going to say getting ordained like they're in church. <laughs> uh, being, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, being inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Now, let me explain something, Richard, to go full circle. When we started talking about when we started first watching wrestling, the very first black wrestlers I began to see and connect to on WAF were Ahmed Johnson, who, to my understanding, was the first black intercontinental champion. And on the other channel was Stevie Ray and Booker T. Harlem Heat. They were my representation as a kid in wrestling. Those were the people I see. 
I'm not old enough to remember Tony Atlas and Rocky Soulman Johnson, Jimmy Superfly Snooker, and Junkyard Dog. Right, right. That, that wasn't my era. My era was Ahmed Johnson, The Nation of Domination, and Harlem Heat on WCW. To see Harlem Heat being inducted into the Hall of Fame the same weekend that a black man who identifies as a black man may actually win the WWE championship. We've talked about this being a win for feminism. This also may be a win for racial justice. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I, I totally agree. Um, yeah. I totally agree because, like you said, it's been a long time coming. You think about all of the other great wrestlers that have come in times past and to finally have things come back full circle, to yeah. finally have this happen. And I think Kofi is a deserving person to be able to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'll be honest with you, Richard. I want to see him win. I am not convinced that he can be the billing card marquee draw, Kofi Kingston. I, I can't see people yet buying tickets because Kofi Kingston is going to be there. I am willing to be proved wrong. In fact, I want to be proved wrong. I want Kofi to succeed like he's never succeeded before. I don't see him being a main event draw. I, I actually, Richard, I actually thought Big E would get the shot before Kofi. Ah, uh, yeah, I can see that. But I think it did. You know what? Kofi's the perfect shoe in right now because of what the industry is. Yes. And that is this um, ke- this ketogenic CrossFit wrestling yes. that we have going on now, right? Like, yes. We are no longer in and the for people, Richard, for people, Richard, who don't understand those buzzwords you just said, can you break it down in layman's terms? So essentially, over the years, wrestling has been known to have individuals who have been big, burly men, right? A lot big of sweaty men. Big sweaty men. Vince McMahon likes big, sweaty men. The big, burly, sweaty men, that is what Vince McMahon is used to having in there. But when you look at the likes of some of the best wrestlers, in the company, in the world, and in this business, um, they are no longer like that. They are smaller individuals who are very good technical wrestlers. While they might not have the size, they can put on a show from Mm. start to finish, have, you know, above five-star matches, all of that. And so um, I think that Kofi came in at an interesting time because – he falls into that mode of wrestling. Mm, and mm-hmm. I think that we couldn't see Kofi dominate before in the old era, in the old ways because of that. But now, now we have it. And I, I believe that Kofi can do it, man. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. Honestly, Chris, they were saying the same thing about Daniel Bryan a few years mm. back. Daniel Bryan was three years ago what Kofi Kingston is now. Absolutely. And not just that, but the language, right? The language that they're using about Kofi, he's being a B-roll, he's nothing more than a B-plus player, was the exact language they used about Daniel Bryan. And right now, Daniel Bryan is the biggest heel and the best heel that the company has. He's fucking brilliant. Yeah, he is. With that hemp title, his pretentious, snobbish attitude, I mean, he is brilliant. And he is an amazing wrestler. Yeah, no, he is. He really is, man. And so... I'm thinking that this is, you know, the time now more than ever to pull the trigger, to give it a chance. And I think at the end of the day, if nothing else, man, Kofi opens the door for what could be great um, with other wrestlers coming in with the likes of a Ricochet now having some experience in the uh, on the main roster. Uh, So I'm, 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 I'm interested to see where they take this, what they do. But I think, you know what, if for nothing else, man, 
Kofi has been the trailblazer that has at least opened the door. Yeah. Rather than being uh, somebody that they use that continues to keep us set back. It's interesting that you use that word. You see Kofi as a trailblazer. Listen, man, we're in 2019. At this point, when you have this kind of opportunity and when you answer the call like he has been doing match by match, you can't help but to call him a trailblazer. Because he's proving it. The fans are loving it. You know, he's putting on a show. He's not resting on his laurels. He's not allowing his victory to defeat him. He is staying in this. Mm. Yep. So that's just I, I, that's, that's a really fucking strong word. I mean, Trailblazer comes with a lot of contexts. And you know you, what? You have a lot of faith in Kofi Kingston, Mr. I have Taylor. a lot of faith in Kofi, but I think what I'm seeing, man, I have a lot of faith in the fans when it comes to how they are playing this up. Mm. And they're not faking the funk. They really want right. to see They Kofi really want to win. see it. Why? Why do you think they want to see him win? What is it about Kofi Kingston that has endeared himself to the audience? I mean, is it that the audience cares about racial justice or they just think that Kofi has done such a great role entertaining them over the years and particularly in this role of the New Day that they just they think he deserves it? Everything needs um, perfect alignment. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. You have a Daniel Bryan who is brilliant as a heel doing what he does best, right? Even more than a face right now. But Mm. Daniel Bryan has done so much as a heel, as this vegan who is super anti everything that are realistically, you know, because that's a storyline in itself that that plays into our, uh, you know, social world which is how we treat the environment, right? Yeah. How trash we are when it comes to that. Daniel Bryan, even though you're supposed to hate his heel character, from somebody pay attention to the environment and that cares and that has made the switch over to a lot of natural products, natural stuff with my wife. Like, I get what he's saying. Yeah. We're being poisoned in many different ways, from the fast food industry to, um, you know, the waste that we use. All of these different things, even the the going down to the storyline of believing what you see in the media, be having the 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 sheet pulled over your eyes, like he is really hitting on a lot of stuff. So that was a storyline in itself before this Kofi thing was ever um, a, a story. Mm. So what happened was, I think that Daniel, in his heel character, really hit on a lot of sensitive subjects that are real to people. And what it did ultimately was made him hate him. <laughs> mm. So they did a great job. That was the needed piece. And now you've got Kofi coming in as this individual who they can cheer for because they hate Daniel Bryan that much. Mm. But I so think- he, he's, he'll be the perfect and in, 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 uh, 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 what's the word? Um, uh, villain? No, Kofi's not the villain. He's the perfect. Um, he's the, the anti- word. He's the anti-hero. No, he is the hero. Kofi's the hero. No, he's the hero. He's definitely a hero, but I think to some, okay, to some he might be the lesser of two. Uh, Even though he's a full-on face, I think even for individuals who didn't think that they would be rooting for Kofi, Mm -hmm. they just don't like Daniel that much to where he's the lesser of what they don't like. Uh, You get what I'm saying? So you have a few different levels of fandom that's going on right now. Folks who are complete marks and want to see Kofi go, and then you've got folks who are just like, you know what? I didn't see it before, but he's putting on some great matches. And Mm. because of that, I got to root for him. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. but he is a hero at the end of the day. Mm. So you got the smart money's on Kofi at WrestleMania. 
Black Savior, baby. What's up? Ah! <laughs> Is that the match you're looking forward to most at WrestleMania? No, no, uh, no. Not. I am. I am looking forward, and not from a technical standpoint. I'm looking forward for Brock Lesnar finally dropping this title because he needs to go. I mean, it's just. I mean, he. You know, man, he's the gonna... most boring WWE champion. Like, I understand that maybe he's a draw. He does nothing for the title. He he doesn't talk. He his. I mean, Paul Heyman is a pretty compelling mouthpiece, but as a as a figurehead champion, I mean, again. I grew up with Rock, Undertaker, Stone Cold, champions who defended it, who were on TV every week. Right. You know, Brock Lesnar, to me, he's a boring wrestler. You know, he does eight German suplexes, ten clotheslines, and, and three F5s, and then the match is over. It's not really compelling wrestling. Um, he's, he doesn't seem to be really bought into this. He doesn't seem to have a passion for it. He's collecting a check. And I think that his time has come and gone. Yeah, man, I agree. And I think more importantly, Richard, with All Elite Wrestling coming up, you want wrestlers like Seth Rollins and a Kofi Kingston or Daniel Bryan holding your top titles because those are the guys who could put on a, a 35-minute clinic without getting winded. You know what I'm saying? So, Chris, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Here we go. I didn't hear that last part. Say that again. Oh, no. I said, you know, with All Elite Wrestling coming in, I think that the, the type of wrestlers you want holding your title are the Kofi Kingston's, the Seth Rollins, the Daniel Bryan's, the people who could put on a 35-minute clinic without getting winded. Absolutely, because that's what, that's what the industry has come to. When you look at New Japan, when you look at uh, Ring of Honor, and when you look at All Elite Wrestling, um, you know, like I said, it's not just the big burly guys anymore who – you know, are physically dominating, but you've got guys who've got these more CrossFit bodies who are in great shape. Mm -hmm. They might be the TRX guys rather than the guys that can bench press 455 right. or whatever the case might be. Um, you know, and, and, and they are they are sound technical wrestlers. Yeah. Right. Which is to a degree, I think, a good nod at what what we would really consider wrestling. Like these guys have some skill. They know how to really hit the graps. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's I think it's a good time for WWE to wise up, because when you look at the competitors, man, AEW is not out here sporting guys that are six. <laughs> they don't have any pounds. monsters. No, not at all, man. You the best wrestler in the world. Kenny Omega barely cracks six feet, six yeah. one. But man, the dude is a stud, though. Yeah. Like you know, and, and he's one. He's my favorite wrestler. Okay. Um, you know, but you, you look at him; he has become the he's become the pinnacle. Even on the tag team side, you got the young bucks. These these cats look like they can still be in high school. Mm. You know, like I mean, minus that ridiculous facial hair they got, but I mean, <laughs> who's up, right? You know, but I mean, seriously, Cody Cody Rhodes. Cody has been putting on some great great matches, man, and he's a business mind. Mm. And I think when you if WWE isn't careful, they got to realize this is not this is not the '90s. This is not the Monday Night Wars. Mm -hmm. This is not Taylor Turner taking millions of dollars and just throwing it at wrestlers that are washed up but still big names. Mm -hmm. This is a company that are taking wrestlers who have been big names everywhere else and have created their own fan base. That and that, that's one of the things we didn't have with WCW was. Um, you know, an external base that could last even if everything else fell apart. 
But when you look at the Young Bucks specifically and what they've done, creating this YouTube platform with hundreds of thousands of faithful fans, mm. right? These guys were able to turn down contract offers from yes. the likes of WWE because of the fact that their merch and what they've done has been able to pull in an income that has been way more substantial than what WWE was willing to pay. Absolutely. You don't need, uh, they're proven you don't need WWE anymore. This is a legit example of power of the people. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The people brought money. So I'm all I'm saying is, is WWE might want to get real privy real quick. Mm. Mm -hmm. Richard, any last thoughts before we close this first landmark episode of coming to the ring out? Man, not really. Um, I'm excited for what's to come. Uh, I think that overall, man, I would I would definitely give Raw the I mean uh, SmackDown the nod over Raw yeah. as far as um, just the compellingness of storylines. Uh, next week, don't forget if I'm not mistaken, next week we have uh, go home episodes of Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. Mm -hmm. uh, and and don't sleep, guys. NXT. Uh, I believe that NXT takeover for this Mania weekend is going to be phenomenal, man. That's something that we're going to have to talk a lot about, too, mm -hmm. Chris. Um, just because of the fact that, believe it or not, the best show in WWE is actually their development show and nothing else. Mm. The guys down there are putting in work, man. They have consistently gotten five and six-star matches from Dave Meltzer. Okay. Um, in the Wrestling Observer, which, I mean, obviously, if you're in the wrestling industry, you know, no matter how you feel about Meltzer, that's kind of become fool's gold, Absolutely. right? So, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm definitely excited about that as well, man. But this has been a great episode, though. Absolutely. Richard Taylor, how can people follow you when you're not talking about wrestling, when you're writing and publishing and selling your books and speaking around the country and motivating teens and college students and the rest of us? How can people follow you online? Man, Instagram, Richard.Taylor Jr. My website, RichardTaylorJr.com. Facebook is Richard L. Taylor Jr. I also run uh, two other podcasts here as well um, on iTunes, uh, on Anchor, and on Spotify. Uh, Between the Dream is one of them. That is my weekly motivational podcast that I drop every Monday. Sometimes I come in later on in the week and I do some movie reviews as well because I am a big movie buff. And then I also run a picture. Uh, I'm sorry. I also run a podcast with my wife called Beyond the Pictures, where we just kind of talk life, love, relationships, and everything in between. Uh, man, and then also, uh, I think I gave you everything. Yeah, Twitter, at TrulyTaylorMade. That's the handle. And you can follow me across social media, at FloodTheDrummer. It's spelled just as it said, F-L-O-O-D-T-H-E-D-R-U-M-M-E-R. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, at FloodTheDrummer. If you are an iPad, iPhone user, you can subscribe to my news organization, TechBook Online, or your Apple News Reader. It could stay to date on all the things that I'm writing, both locally and nationally. And uh, and that's it. Uh, once this is distributed to uh, Apple iTunes, I'd ask that you give it a five-star review, share it with your wrestling friends, and make Coming to the Ring part of your pro wrestling diet when you listen to podcasts. Cultaholic, uh, uh, Something to Wrestle With, What Culture, and Coming to the Ring. We want you to see us along with them, and we're going to strive our best every week to bring you something worth listening to. Until next time, for Richard Taylor, I'm Flood the Drummer, and I'm drumming for justice. Thanks for listening. Thank you.